0: We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Our scripture reading tonight is from Acts 5, verses one through 11. If you wanna take a minute and find it, um, there are a Bibles, um, on the back of the pews, or um, on your device. Once again, that's Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: we're looking at the book of Acts and it's not really supposed to be the Acts of the Apostles. Other people sometimes call it that. It's more like the Acts of the Ascended Lord because uh, the very beginning of the book of Acts, you have Jesus um, not only resurrected, people always think that the gospel is that he died and rose. It's not that. He he died and rose and he ascended. So he's not walking around the earth as a resurrected man now. He is in a different uh, dimension, if you will. Um, If we're on a if you think of us as a plane, then he's on the vertical dimension. Um, we cannot geographically locate him. Uh, he is in the heavens, as the Bible calls him. And the heavens don't, doesn't mean like up there and outer space. It means right around here and kind of, through some kind of thin membrane, like this other dimension that we can't see, where the spiritual realm occurs. So he is now reigning uh, over the earth <clears throat> as the ascended Lord. And his church... When you think about the church, when you think about the church, think about the definition of as the place where King Jesus uh, is reigning. We are we are witnesses to the fact that He is reigning, and uh, and a witness means that we are showing this is how the King governs a type of people. So, if you want to look at a sneak preview of the way things are going to be when He comes back, um, the church is how He governs His people. That's why it's so important that we reflect uh, the ways of Jesus. Uh, in every way, um, especially with our money, <clears throat> which this passage is obviously about. Um, you know, I've visited several countries. I've been to Sweden, Uganda. They they handle money very differently, in those two countries. Uh, very different types of economic systems, just day-to-day interactions with people are very, very different as regards money. And so you can tell something about the culture by the way they handle their money. And in the same way, we are like... Another country, if you will. We are uh, aliens and strangers in this land we live in. No matter what country we're in, Christians have a different way of handling money. And so when you come into a church, we're actually not in, we're not we are not a building. If you come into the community of a church, what you should see is people handling money differently. And it's a place where when we pass the baskets around, you can be confident that that money is going into places where it will be used to serve people. And it's not being Uh, inappropriately used, as the church has done so many times. It's gotten the church in so much trouble. It's breaking so much trust the way we handle money. So I want to look at that subject about how the church handles their money. Um, Last week we saw that the church was attacked from the outside and actually it strengthened the church. Uh, This week we're looking at how when that didn't work, the attack came from within. So that the enemy of the church... Tried the uh, the external attack through just physical violence and threats. That didn't work at all. That actually completely backfired. It strengthened the church. But now the internal attack is to come in through these two leaders, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And it says in verse three, uh, Peter asks, "Why has Satan filled your heart?" In other words, Satan has come through his heart and is now infiltrating the church, uh, and he's confusing people. He's breaking trust. It'd be like if you printed a, a trillion counterfeit dollars and then put them into the system and you wouldn't know what to trust. You wouldn't know what you had in your, in your wallet. It's The same thing with what is going on here. He is, bringing a, he is putting a, a counterfeit way of using money into the middle of the church. Uh, and it's, it's created all sorts of confusion. So I want to look at the attack first through money and then the counterattack um, from the risen Christ. Now this is a disturbing passage. There's no way... Um, to downplay that, it would be a mistake to downplay that. There are a lot of passages in the Bible that are disturbing and that are, I mean, it was written thousands of years ago in a very different culture, so we should not expect that our culture has everything right and they have everything wrong. Um, When the Bible is disturbing, you should ask yourself, uh, what is it about me that is off from reality that I'm disturbed? You shouldn't say what's wrong with the Bible because it's not like our culture. You say what's wrong with me Uh, that I am an off from reality in some way, that this is upsetting to me. Um, But this is the only passage in the New Testament that is like this. So it's very important to know um, these are unusual circumstances. Uh, This is the only time in the New Testament where actually somebody in the church physically dies um, as a result of something that they did. Um, and by the way, this is not, This in no way does this um, underwrite any kind of violence in Christian history. The Crusades, or the Inquisition, or uh, the Conquistadors, uh, or the witch, witch hunts. Uh, none of that is justified whatsoever. But there is actually no violence in this passage. Uh, the violence happens inside of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, but, but they are unique circumstances that create this need for this to happen. So let me tell you the two, two unique circumstances. One is... It's the very beginning of the church's life, the very, very beginning of the church's life, um, and so there's something that is very pristine and fragile and beautiful and clean about. It's like a little tiny baby, very beginning of the church's life. And then, because it is, um, it is so new and clean and fresh and beautiful, the church is exploding. Uh, it is growing rapidly because there's so much trust. They they trust each other so much. So in, in Acts four thirty two, they were of one heart. And soul, and so their witness had great power. People trusted the church; they joined the church because they were saying these people are incredibly generous with their money. They're giving money to each other. Um, they they clearly take care of not only their own people but also people outside the church. This is a community where I can really trust what's going on there, especially about money. Uh, it's so impressive what's going on. And so when you have these pristine conditions. Uh, everything is more consequential. Okay, everything, uh, everything you do matters a lot more. It's like the teacher on the first day of school. I was a teacher, and they always say, do not smile on the first day of class, uh, because you've got to make sure they know who's in charge, that you're the boss. And, uh, and so it's very, very important that first day of class that you establish the ground rules. And so we're at the very beginning of the church, And these two leaders are conspiring to deceive uh, the church. They're conspiring, premeditated, to deceive the church for their own gain, their own prestige. And God has got to make it very clear, the king of the world, Jesus, whose church it is, whose name is on the line, he's like, he's got to show this is not the way, this is not the way I rule. This is not the way I govern. This is not this does not look like me at all. What's going on there? That is not me. And so um, they are keeping back money. But it's not that they're keeping back money. What what he is really most disturbed about is that um, it's this intentional deception. I mean, Peter says in verse 4, while it was unsold, the property you sold, um, while you still owned it, you didn't have to do anything. There's total freedom. Like there was no pressure from the church whatsoever to give anything away. Was it not at your disposal, Peter says. So there's no, nothing in the early church forced anyone. It was not communism. They were not forcing anyone to give anything. It's that these two, they agreed together, verse 9, to test the Holy Spirit. And the word test there means to see how much you can get away with. So like Israel in the wilderness tested Yahweh um, to see how much they could get away with. They didn't believe him. They didn't trust him. And these two, Ananias and Sapphira, they're saying to themselves, uh, let's act like we are these prestigious leaders that let's let's be like the most generous people in the whole church. Let's outdo Barnabas and show how incredibly virtuous we are, but actually not really do that. And we'll hold back most of that money for ourselves. But we'll make it look like we're really, so we write a huge check in public, you know, a 10 foot tall check and you bring it up to the church and your name is on it and Ananias and Sapphira has given this huge amount of money away. But then actually, they're holding back a ton of stuff. So it's premeditated. But not only that, probably even worse than the premeditated part is that they cover it up. When they are discovered, they cover it up. And that's where the church has really gotten into trouble. Uh, Peter graciously gives them a chance to confess and and to be forgiven. And they would have been immediately forgiven if they had confessed. So Peter says in verse 8, uh, tell me whether you sold the land for this amount of money. Let's say like a million dollars. And they could have right there said, actually, I, he, I realize he probably knows because he's asking me that question. And so I'm going to go ahead and tell him, no, we sold it, uh, we, we sold it for a million, but we actually only gave like 100,000 or something like that. So, uh, but they lie. They say, yes, that's, that's right. That's how much it was. And so that's what is so devastating to the church. It's not just sin. Or greed, and it's not just leaders sinning and being greedy, and it's not even just leaders sinning and covering it up. It's that they are sinning, they're leaders, they're covering up, and it's money. Which uh, there's something just so visceral about money, Uh, it's so close to the heart. Uh, You can tell a lot about someone's heart by looking at their checkbook a lot. I mean, it tells you what someone really believes about reality. That's why our budget is so important as a church. It tells you so much about the mission of this church and what we value that when you look at that budget. Which, by the way, is open to everybody. Anybody can look at that budget. So, you know, money has caused, like I keep saying, it's just an incredible amount of distrust. When I was growing up, it was the PTL Club, the 700 Club, Jimmy Swaggart, uh, Pat Robertson, all these people who were asking for money. Um, but really, they were just lining their pocketbooks and you could tell by the way they were dressed that they were making a ton of money. Uh, all the money was not going to the things they were saying it was going to. It was going to all these other things. Uh, money has created an incredible amount of distrust in the church. Because, it, because money is inherently deceptive. It deceives you. That's why Jesus says in verse uh, 29 in Mark 4 that the deceitfulness of riches uh, choke out the life of God inside of you. Uh, if you don't watch out. Because the deceitfulness of riches means that when you have money, it will tend... Uh, to make you not see it. Uh, You will not notice the greed that is going on in your heart. Uh, Probably more than any other sin. I mean, I've never had uh, anyone, I don't think, uh, in a small group or a prayer meeting confess the sin of greed. People will confess a lot of stuff, but I almost never heard anybody say they're really greedy and uh, they need to give more money away or they're stingy or something like that. Um, Actually, somebody was saying in our small group this past week, Uh, That when they first got married, they made very little money, but they were really generous and they had people over for dinner a lot. And uh, even though they weren't making much, they were giving a lot away, having people over and making meals for them. But they were saying the more they've made, actually, the harder it has been to be generous, which is exactly the opposite of what you think. But that's the deceitfulness of riches, that when you get it, it kind of like wraps uh, around your heart. Or it wraps you around its little finger. You know, it's got you wrapped around its little finger. Um, It's like a python. They kind of slowly coil around their prey, and the prey doesn't really realize they're doing it. But they're coming around, you know, whatever it is, the animal. And then suddenly you look up, and it's all around you, and it's choking you. And money is like that python that just slowly and gently chokes out the life of God in you. If you don't watch out. I'm not saying that you can't have money, but you've got to watch out for it. Um, it's a very, very dangerous thing, because it will slowly get this hold on you, and you're not gonna see it. So you gotta ask your friends about it, you gotta ask your spouse about it, you gotta ask your parents, your child, your roommate, um, someone around you, uh, ask them, how is my heart doing with, with regards to money? Do you see anything happening in my life? Show them your spending. You know, sh- sh- Show them the way that you're using your money. Um, I have seen very tight-knit families just blown apart as soon as the parents die and there's a huge inheritance on the line. It's crazy what that will do. You've probably seen that in a movie. I've seen it firsthand. You know, the siblings were getting along so well. They loved each other so much. Now there's $2 million at play. And they're like, okay, how are we going to split that up? And you just see the suspicion growing. You see the grasping. You see the coveting of the heart just begin to latch onto that money and they need it. And they feel like they're entitled to it. And uh, they'll start doing shady things they would never have done. Uh, money is, is very deceitful. And so uh, we have to be really, really careful. As the people of Jesus, we have to be different with our money. And uh, I'll tell you uh, three different ways you've got to be careful. If you have a spending account with your job, um, that, that's something you got to be careful about. Is using that on yourself. Just shading things a little bit, you know, doing, using that money on yourself in some way that you really shouldn't quite do. Um, spending accounts, taxes are really, really, really tricky because it's so easy to want to take money. Because it's the government and they're the bad guys. And so why would we want to give money to the government? And so you can so easily try to, I mean, you should use all the, the, the tax breaks you can, but that's why they're there. But be really careful about being shady with taxes. And then paying employees. I heard somebody say that um, if if Christian people in business uh, would just pay their employees well, that would be more important than all of the poverty relief in the whole world. That if people who are Christians that ran businesses would simply take care of their employees well and be generous and give them enough money to live on, um, then that would be more important than all the poverty relief. It's it's like a lot of people love family values, but then they don't care about how much people make. Well, that's kind of the ultimate family value because it keeps a family together if they can make more and they don't have to have seven jobs. So those are ways that you've got to be really, really careful about money. And and as a church, as, a, as someone like a church with a budget, so we have a budget in our church because you give money away generously to the church. And um, I would say we have a very... High level of trust right now. Um, From my experience with churches, very high level of trust that for the most part, I think y'all trust us as leaders with the money. Uh, The servant leaders are the ones that finally make that budget. They do an incredible job. They're amazingly transparent and there's a very high degree of trust, but we cannot take that trust for granted. Um, I have seen uh, pastor friends where the trust broke down just instantly. In fact, one of them very recently, and he's gone Uh, because the trust just evaporated. And money is probably the most easy way for that to happen. So we've got to be really, really careful about the way that uh, we present budgets to you, and you should ask questions about those things to us. If you have any question ever, um, please let us know. Um, there's a pastor uh, in Charlotte that was found to have a, 17, uh, a $1,700,000 house. So he had a housing allowance to cover, protected from the government, you know, taxes. Pastors don't pay taxes on their, their housing allowance, if you didn't know that. Um, this person had an almost $2 million house, and it was not being, no, no taxes on that at all. And had a Lamborghini. And that, like, broke a lot of trust, uh, understandably, in that church, And so if you notice anything that we're doing that seems deceptive or shady, please let us know. Because that is the great internal attack of the enemy is to break trust. And money breaks trust. So that's the first point. Now what does the king do about it? Uh, And this is where it's kind of challenging. Uh, First of all, uh, through the mouth of Peter... This is Jesus really speaking through Peter because Jesus is the king of the church, not Peter. He's just uh, an ambassador. He's an emissary who speaks for the king. But Peter says to them, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit, verse 3? And um, it literally means, why have you falsified the Spirit's presence among us? Why have you falsified the presence of the Spirit among us? In other words, what you've done is made it look like the Holy Spirit's not here. You have falsified presence of the spirit. And that's what deception does. If someone walks in here and they see something extravagant about money, um, sometimes you can walk in a church and just know immediately, this church spends almost all their money on themselves and their ease and comfort. And so if you do that, sometimes people will say, there is no spirit here. Because the way it's looking to me is that the way they deal with money, it's pretty much all about them. And so the spirit's not here. And uh, that is what Jesus is attacking He's trying to attack the falsification of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 3, this is a lot like God does in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve uh, take the apple and eat and uh, break trust with God. Um, Just as Ananias and Sapphira broke trust with God right at the beginning of something very special. And notice what Peter does. Um, He makes, he asks these questions. God is always asking us questions. And the main way that God comes at us is to ask us hard questions. So verse three, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Long pause. Whenever the Bible has a question and then there's no response, that means there's a long pause there. So why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Peter's just sitting there looking at Ananias, waiting for him to answer that question. He doesn't answer the question, so he moves on. Did it not remain your own? Again, long silence. No response. Was it not at your disposal? And any time in this series of questions, he could have he could have confessed, and that's what is that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do to Ananias: is confess, confess, save your life, and then you, why have you contrived this deed in your heart? So chance after chance to repent, but he doesn't. So then eventually, <clears throat> the sun—it's like the sun breaks through, you know, at noon in a tropical. Desert, <clears throat> or um, I was in Cabo, Mexico, one time uh, in the tropics, and uh, the sun was so powerful that you literally don't want to be outside at noon at all. And this is like the sun just pierces through right into the heart of Ananias, and Peter says, You have not lied to man but to God. And he probably said that calmly. I don't think he yelled that at Ananias, I don't think he looked at him with anger. He wasn't screaming red faced at him. He just said it calmly. Um, But the truth was so penetrating that it says in verse 5 that when he heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. I imagine a heart attack because he was so shattered by the exposure. The exposure was so clear in public. This is a man who cared about his reputation so much that he lied to make himself look generous. And now the exposure is so powerful and so clear that he, his heart just can't take it. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've heard something that you almost had a violent reaction to because it was so painful to hear it. Um, like hearing my wife had cancer was one of those, where I just, it just, it just, I just stopped, I couldn't move. Um, or somebody saying, you know, you're not doing your job, you're on a performance plan, or you're fired. Uh, some of these things, or somebody just calls you out on your sin. It can just make you, it can shake you to the core. And I think the, the word of Christ was so powerful in this public setting that when Ananias heard that, he just died. And then so did Sapphira. And so it is, the, the, the counterattack is just simply the word of Christ. And that's how he rules his church, through the word, not through the sword. In the book of Revelation, when, when, when John sees the risen ascended Jesus, there's a sword coming out of his mouth. Because he's ruling the world, the power is through the word, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And so the way that Jesus um, orders his church is never through physical violence. It's always just through truth. And the the truth is so reverberating, so shattering, it just convulses the entire city of Jerusalem. And it makes clear who is on the throne. So in verse five, it says, great fear... Awe came upon all who heard this. So the whole city of Jerusalem was just shaken by this event. To make it clear that Jesus does not tolerate deception and cover up financially in his church. There was a movie that um, was called Spotlight that won the Academy Award in 2015. And a uh, fantastic movie about uh, the Catholic abuse scandal in Boston where the bishops were covering up the abuse of the priests. And Mark Ruffalo is a Boston Globe reporter, and he uncovers the abuse, and so he finds out through interviews uh, that the Catholic bishops are protecting these priests who abuse over 250 uh, people, parishioners, uh, acolytes, um, and, the boss, the, and, and Mark Ruffalo realizes that the bishops know this and they're leaving the priests there or just moving them to another parish in the city. And as he discovers more and more, this, as the spotlight grows, uh, his anger just grows. And he does a really good, he's a good actor at expressing anger. If you've ever seen Dark Waters, it's the same thing in that movie. He's a really good actor at expressing that righteous anger. And when the story is published at the end of the movie, and it, it is exposed. You're not angry at the Boston Globe. Uh, you're not upset that the priests are being shaken and losing their job and, and losing everything. You're glad. You're glad because it was so destructive. And the anger and the exposure is protective. So you're rooting for it. And you should be doing the same thing when Jesus protects his church from these kind of cover-ups up, cover and scandals. Uh, the the. He cares so much more than the Boston Globe does uh, about his people and about their well-being. And he grieves more for them, and he hates the abuse more. So it's a, it's a frightening story, but it is about the king's protection of, of his church and really of the witness to the people of Jerusalem because he, he wants the people of Jerusalem to know the way that he reigns with money, which is, you can trust me, I'm generous. So it's protective... It's also ultimately protective of
0: We love these rascals.